The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. You are on a Monday drive. We're so glad you're hanging out with us. And we begin with the Carolina Panthers. As Minicamp wrapped up, you know what, Robert, this doesn't really feel right. This doesn't feel like the right way to start things out. The Hurricanes, they're opening up their series with the Preds. So can we run this back? I'd like to do a take two here. Let's do that. Oh, that's more like it. Because at the risk of sounding Brashville, Asheville's out of your Clashville, Nashville. <laughs> Woo! As for the Carolina Hurricanes, because not to be Crassville, when we hit the ice, your ass will be Grassville. Ow! When we check you into the Glassville. Ouch. Robert, I don't know if you know this, but they actually call themselves Smashville. That's what they call themselves. It's literally too dumb to insult. <laughs> I've got more. All right, go ahead then. Grand Ole Opry. More like Grand Ole Floppery. Woo! When I was a kid, I used to eat mustard sandwiches. You know what that is, Robert? Gross as hell. Two pieces of bread with tons of mustard slathered in between. True story. I used to eat these and make a giant mess getting mustard all over my clothes. My trashed, mustard-covered kids' clothes look just like the Nashville Predators' uniform! Y'all are ugly as hell! Nashville is the bachelorette party capital of the world! And much like those soon-to-be marriages, this series isn't gonna last very long! Hope you got a prenup! Robert, my pastor in Winston-Salem that we just locked in to officiate our wedding is actually from Nashville. That's too bad for (laughs) him. He's a big Preds fan, and I told him. He told me yesterday when I was walking into church, he just started listening to the show. So I might actually have to look for a new pastor after this, but I don't care because the Canes are in the playoffs. Let's go! (laughs) Woo! It's another. Woo! The only time Nashville played in the Stanley Cup Final, they had a tradition where they threw a catfish on the ice before each game. That don't belong there. That's cute. We'll just beat your bass. Oh. It's fitting. The most famous person from Nashville is Oprah Winfrey. Because when this series starts, the Preds are going to be given the Canes points like new cars. Jumping you on the couch. Say it with me, Robert. You get a goal. You, you get, get a goal. goal. Everybody get a goal. gets a goal. Oh, Robert. I, I don't think we've. I've got anything left. I. You might want to just turn things down. I. I think I've given it my all. I'm sorry, man. I don't know if I have anything left in me. I don't know. What do you think? I think you got one more, Josh. 
You know what? You're right. One more, Robert! Nashville! You've got hot chicken. We've got pulled pork. Your pro football team's best player is a running back. Our best player is also a running back, but at least Christian McCaffrey can catch. Mm. And he looks good shirtless in GQ magazine. Mm. Music City, more like Boozik City. The only time Nashville beat Carolina this year is literally when the Canes weren't trying. That's not a joke. This is no contest. Hurricanes in five. I'm so pumped for the Canes, but now my voice is shot. I'm so tired. I don't know how I'm going to do the remainder of the show. (sighs) Let's try to move things along here. 336-777-1600 if you want it on today's show. If you're psyched about the Canes, we'd love to hear from you. John Forslund going to join us at the bottom of the hour. We're on Twitter at WSJS Sports. After another horrendous loss yesterday, the Hornets will be the 10 seed in the play-in tournament. You can listen to their play-in game against Indiana tomorrow night at 6.30. More importantly, the NBA got its marquee matchup of Lakers-Warriors out west, and that's because of how Steph capped his already absurd season with a terrific effort against the Memphis Grizzlies. I think this season should silence any of the remaining haters out there for Steph. It's weird to me. As likable as Steph's personality is, not one NBA superstar receives the kind of criticism he does when the Warriors lose. Anytime he has a bad shooting night, there are people out there saying, eh, this guy, he might actually be a bum. I don't think anybody's saying that about the otherworldly physical phenom freaks like LeBron James and some of the others we've seen out there. The only major star in American sports I could compare Steph to in that regard is Tom Brady because the biggest knocks on each of their careers has been that they're products of a system. This is an argument I heard from somebody in the last couple years. One of my best friends here in the triad told me for years, this was their take, that if Tom Brady did not have Bill Belichick, there's no chance he would be able to win. He is a system quarterback. It's more about the Patriots than it is Tom. Well, last year, this last football season, I think diffused that. And when it comes to Steph, there are similar people I've heard out there saying, yeah, Steph's great and all, but he has to be in the right system He can't be the guy to carry your team. He's great if he's running around screens and is opened up from three-point range. He needs Clay or KD or somebody great next to him to be successful. He can't carry a team. Well, you can't say that any longer after this season, can you? With no help, Clay out in the preseason. I think he got injured on draft night with the Achilles. With James Wiseman missing much of this year, with Draymond Green in and out of the lineup, Steph Curry led the league in scoring, led Golden State to a 6-over-500 record in the Western Conference, and gained them the number 8 seed in the playoffs. 
if you look at their lineup, after Kavon Looney, Golden State has no center, and they'd have to play small ball. That's a pretty big problem. As I mentioned, Steph won the scoring title, but he did so while remaining efficient. This is not a Steph... uh, This is a very important thing to make clear here. This is not like the James Harden scoring title or the Russell Westbrook scoring title, where there might be some inefficiencies in there, particularly with Russ. Steph, yesterday, just I think it was a perfect encapsulation of what the season has been, he attempted a career-high 22 threes. He made over 40% of them. So while he's attempting more shots, 36 in the game altogether, 22 from three, and a game that the Warriors had to have in order to get the number eight seed, Steph was terrific. He was up to the task, but he was also efficient as well. And that's what he's been throughout his entire career. The analytics and stats absolutely love Steph as he attempts more shots than anybody else this season. Now, Let me be clear, he's not the MVP this season, didn't play in enough games, and the Warriors still aren't a great basketball team. I don't even know if they're a good basketball team. Jokic is going to win the award, and it's deserved. If you're going to go with somebody who's played fewer games, you'd go with Joel Embiid. Those are the top two vote-getters, and it should be. Jokic is going to win the award, but... As it relates to Steph, I don't know if that matters much. His legacy is now completely bulletproof. I don't know what any Steph hater can say now. Most of them tend to be LeBron guys because LeBron, he's been the player of the generation and the only thing that stood in the way of LeBron from getting a few more titles is Steph Curry. Steph, I think because of this season has proven he's the best warrior ever. He's the most important warrior on this roster the last 10 years, more than Kevin Durant, more than Klay Thompson, more than Draymond Green. The 73-win season, the three titles all against LeBron, two MVPs, two scoring titles, the only other person to get a scoring title at his age or older was Michael Jordan in the 90s. Beating LeBron Wednesday, it would be an extra notch on his legacy, but I think this season, shut up any of the remaining Steph haters that are out there. But don't get me started on the Hornets. Really frustrating watching that. So coming up next, I'm not going to do much of the Hornets stuff, but I'll tell you why. The Hornets aren't the only team in the Queen City. I don't want to hear any excuses about this year. I'm looking at you, Matt Rule. Keep it here on a Monday Drive. True sports. True sports fanatics. People that dedicate their lives to sports know that the best sports talk is right here. It's better than sex. How would you know? You're on the drive with Josh Graham. Nobody in the biz works harder than our next guest. 
Yesterday was on the call on NBC of the Vegas game to open up the Stanley Cup playoffs. Now he's in New York to call a game in studio for the Avs in St. Louis tonight. Plus, he's looking to relocate to Seattle. I hope that's going well. The future voice of the Kraken and the current voice of the NHL on NBC, John Forslund, now joins us. I guess it's an upgrade over doing multiple games in the same day in the bubble, right? Yeah, we're getting closer to normal, Josh, and it's uh, great to hear your voice. And, yes. and I think uh, we're we're getting there. You know, it's a, it's a been a mixed bag during the season between studio work and on site. And as we get to the second round of the playoffs, the local regionals are are finished with their first round playoff coverage. We're going to be allowed in, and I think we'll be completely back to normal from a broadcasting standpoint in the second round on. Given how many more points Carolina had. Uh, than Nashville in the regular season, I think 16 more, and Carolina winning the first six games of the head-to-head in the regular season, and the only two they lost were after Carolina clinched the Central Division. Would I be making a mistake to think that Carolina is an overwhelming favorite here? I think so. Yeah, I wouldn't classify them as an overwhelming favorite. Obviously a favorite. Obviously, one of about 10 teams of the 16 that have qualified for the playoffs, I think, can really win the Stanley Cup. I guess you could say that they all have a chance. That's obvious, but at some point you have to draw a line and, and, and really map out who the legitimate contenders are. So they're one of those teams. But this season is, is, is so different than anything else we've, we've ever seen, from the scheduling to the COVID, uh, strictly divisional play. I'm not 100% sure what, what conclusion you draw from the regular season other than how were you playing when it finished. And for the Canes, you're right. They had clinched their spot. They were knocking on the door of the President's Trophy for the best overall record. That didn't happen. Um, but they won their division. They did a great job dominating the teams they were supposed to. They competed hard against Tampa. They proved they could beat them. They played hard against Florida. They proved they could beat them. So that they earned their position. But don't look past Nashville because in the second half of the season, they're one of the hottest teams in the league. They have tremendous chemistry. And UC Saros in goal has been remarkable. And if he can continue to play the way he did in the regular season, he's going to be a tough puzzle to solve. And I've watched, obviously, with a keen eye, the Hurricanes all season. Um, and I'm impressed. And then I'm, I'm a little bit puzzled by the way they play because they're such a great team. And they, they get away with it sometimes. And they did, did in the regular season. What I mean by is that they, they get away with their their play in route to victory. So they didn't play well. They still were good enough to win games. Their power play carried them, especially in the front half of the season. Um, so uh, the playoffs will be a brand-new beginning. It's going to be a hard series. Um, and I think if the Canes can get their mojo early, in game one and just continue to build on that, they're going to, they're going to be just fine. But they do have a significant injury in Jacob Slavin yeah. to start this series, and, and you can't look past that. John Forslund, NHL on NBC with us here on WSJS Sports. I find it interesting how little value you put on the regular season when you talk about what it might mean in trying to forecast the playoffs because – it is a different year, unlike any other. Given that the format has such a familiarity with the first two rounds, given that it's in division, do you feel that you have more of a handle on what's going to happen or less so? 
No, I think less. And then it's odd because you would say, geez, and, and maybe I'm wrong because, I mean, yesterday, Minnesota, who had dominated Vegas, like Vegas is uh, an elite team. Colorado won the tiebreaker for the President's Trophy. More regulation wins, but Vegas had 40 wins in the regular season of the 56 games, and Colorado had 39. So there they are, one of the best teams in the league. And, you know, nip and tuck, great goaltending, uh, overtime game, one nothing game, Minnesota wins, but that's their sixth win over Vegas already. So can you draw a conclusion? Maybe Forslund's wrong. Um, I'll stay with it for now. I think the playoffs in this season are brand new because of the energy the players will receive from playing under more normal conditions. Yeah. Protocols have been relaxed a little bit because many of the guys have been vaccinated. Crowds are coming back. Great to see they'll have some people in the building uh, tonight in Raleigh. Nashville's going to have around 13,000. They told us there's about 9,000 in Vegas yesterday. It looked to me like there was more than that. It sounded like it. That energy makes any matchup now way different than the regular season. I mean, this regular season at times was mundane, bogged down. The players were getting frustrated with their, their stringencies that they were under in terms of the COVID protocols. It was, it was isolation on the road. They couldn't enjoy themselves. Uh, they tried to up the ante in the games, but they became, they became really bogged down by the fact they're playing the same teams over and over again. But now you play that same team in the playoffs, and I think that's different. How many teams do you feel comfortable saying right now are stronger than Carolina? Um, I would put Colorado, Vegas. Uh, you could argue Tampa, although Tampa's really did not play well down the stretch, and it's a little concerning the way they are right now, but they may find it. So you got to respect them as the defending Stanley Cup champions. Um, you know, I, I think Carolina's better than Toronto. Um, I think Carolina can be better than some of the teams in the East, but that Eastern division has the most parity. It was the toughest division. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really interested to see where Washington goes. Great year. I think there's another level for that team that could be dangerous. And I, and I thought Pittsburgh um, admirably played really well during the regular season. They had over 300 man games, lost to injury. Uh, many key guys out for long stretches. Their coach did a great job, Mike Sullivan. Uh, and again, you know, they lose in overtime in game one, so they got some work to do. So I, I don't know, just a handful of teams I would put ahead of the Hurricanes, but they're not that far ahead. Really, they are not. The Canes are a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. It's John Forslin, NHL on NBC. Well, here's to hoping the Canes get far enough where it's only national broadcast moving forward, and I could speak for a lot of people that if there is national broadcast for the Canes that you're going to get those assignments. I would hope that's the case. Um, because we miss hearing your voice more often. Are you close to getting settled in the Pacific Northwest? How's that going? No, not close at all. I mean, you know, because of COVID and my schedule, I've done over 40 games for NBC in the regular season. I have a full complement of, of playoffs, you know, which will take me right to the end. And, uh, um, and no, I haven't. I've yet to go there. Uh, mm -hmm. Took the job site unseen, never been to Seattle in my life. So when this is over... Um, we're going to get out there and figure out a, a lot of different things. I'm in direct contact with the team all the time. Um, so, you know, it's getting it, it's getting really exciting because the expansion draft is getting closer, the entry draft. Uh, Ron signed his first player the other day, a prospect player, uh, and he's, avail he's now, I'm sure, working the phones, trying to make some trades and some backdoor deals in and around the expansion draft. Um, you know, to certain teams will like to protect players and 
They'll have these verbal agreements going in. So, you know, this will this will put together the first roster for the Seattle Kraken, and that's going to be a great day for me. Hope I get to see you at a playoff game sometime soon, Johnny. Good luck with all that, and thank you so much, as always, for making time for us in the triad. Thanks. Thanks, Josh. No problem, and all the best to you, and uh, just stay safe, and I hope your family's well, and uh, let's hope the playoffs are great. The first couple of days have been outstanding. Yes, they have been. Thank you so much. That is John Forslund joining us here. And, yes, the playoffs, five of the six games going to overtime so far. That's been great. And Johnny's the best. Hope he gets some of the national assignments for the Canes. Eight o'clock puck drop for the Canes and the Nashville Predators. While we're talking about broadcasters, did you see that Marv Albert is going to retire after this postseason run? I did see that. He's going to be 80 years old next month. Do you know how long he's been broadcasting professional sports? If you want to guess a number for years. Uh, Since he's still doing it and he's 80, I'm going to say since Nam. That's an expression, but I think it's correct. 60 years. So, before Nam. 60 years for Marv Albert. One of the best. You can hold multiple ideas in your head simultaneously without them contradicting each other, I think. I love Marv Albert. Yes! I'm the foul! But, it was time. It was time for him to step away. Uh, Kevin Harlan is the best sports play-by-play guy I think that's out there. It's time for him to be the number one for TNT. It's become a bit of a tough listen. Closing in on 80, it's really hard to blame him. The only thing I hope happens over the next month for Marv, his last series is going to be the Eastern Conference Finals, which TNT has. He will be allowed to be at the game. He'll be allowed to be at his final series because I think... This entire season, he's been broadcasting remotely. Like, John's going to be tonight. He didn't have to be remote yesterday in Vegas, but I'm hoping that Marv's going to be able to attend the Eastern Conference Finals and call that series for TNT on the way out. I hope he doesn't have to do it in a studio like Doc Emmerich was forced to do so last year. All right, Robert, this required a lot of mundane work for me over the weekend. I've listened to all of these graduation speeches, these commencement speeches. I listened to all of them for the North Carolina ACC Big Four schools. They're all in the books, these graduations. So we'll grade how John Legend, Dr. Fauci, Russell Wilson, and Kendall Hinton did next on The Drive. Ready? Yes. Punch up the audio for me now. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Hornets coach James Borrego is currently speaking to reporters via Zoom. And there are a number of people on that call noticing an over-the-top positive vibe from JB after five consecutive losses to close the regular season. JB says, quote, I expect us to have our best game of the season tomorrow night. 6.30 tip right here on WSJS Sports when the Hornets are facing the Indiana Pacers or a, in a do-or-die play-in game. Borrego thinks that 
the clutch shooting that the Hornets have had all year long at the guard spots are going to help them in the playoffs, saying, quote, those shots are going to fall in for us. I believe it. Speak it into existence, JB. Best of luck with that. The Hornets probably not going to be looked at too kindly in this week's edition of Graham's Grades. Every week is a test for your favorite sports teams. We don't need no education. Who passed the test? If one of y'all says some silly ass name. Who dropped the ball? I don't know. Josh Graham has the answers. I think you're very condescending and a know-it-all. Hey, Time for Graham's Grades. A through F, we start with the very good first. It's the grade that we all aspired to get, going through elementary, middle, and high school, and even college as well. A. The Stanley Cup playoffs, they are an A, and not having to wear masks indoors anymore, also an A. Just as long as you're vaccinated. Been vaccinated for a month. Things work. I can't think of anything better to inspire people getting the vaccine than, hey, you don't have to wear a mask indoors any often uh, anymore. And you don't have the fear of potentially spreading the virus to somebody who might be more vulnerable. It was great going downtown Winston-Salem this weekend. Going to a restaurant. I went to a place, Robert, that actually opened up the week before COVID hit Young Cardinal, which is right there on 4th Street. Very good stuff there. One of the best brunches I've had in a very long time. Walked around the Mass General store. Love downtown Winston-Salem. A great feeling not having to wear a mask indoors any longer. Now that I'm vaccinated and the restrictions have eased, the Stanley Cup playoffs, probably going to be jumping up a notch as well, considering that Fans are going to be allowed to come out to games in full force or fuller force than they've been able to in the regular season. That includes the Hurricanes tonight as the Canes open up against the Nashville Predators. 8 o'clock puck drop at PNC Arena. Between 10 and 12,000 fans expected there. The playoffs are always great. It's a wonderful tournament. Probably the best playoffs in pro sports in America, period. Five of the first six games living up to the billing. Really, all six of them living up to the billing. Five of the six went to overtime, the one exception. Tampa and Florida, which might be the best series in the first round. Coming down to the final two minutes, Tampa Bay scoring a goal to push ahead with less than two minutes remaining. That's going to be an unbelievable series. This is going to be an unbelievable Stanley Cup playoff, I believe. B. The board game categories and the Hall of Fame ceremony in Connecticut this weekend. I was really glad on the Hall of Fame front that both Greg Popovich and Doc Rivers were allowed to attend for Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett. I was kind of surprised how many stars, how many legends were in attendance from Bill Walton to Magic Johnson to Bill Russell, and the list just goes on and on and on. I'd be interested to hear more stories about the Hall of Fame ceremony. Steve Forbes was there for Tim Duncan yesterday. And Coach Forbes is going to join us on tomorrow's show to tell us more about it. A great ceremony with great legends being inducted. Neo, a tremendous performance to honor those who were lost. As for the game, categories, Robert, I'd say categories is an elite-level board game. 
I'm not sure if you'd agree with that, but on Friday night, went to a dinner party with Sarah Bradford, and we decided, hey, we're going to play some games here, and we pulled out categories. Great to play with couples. Great to play if you have more than two people. It really gives your brain a workout. It's The rounds are so concise, you're not playing the game forever. Scategories, elite-level board game. Can you call Scategories a board game? Because there's no board. You got it's kind of like Yahtzee. Well, I wouldn't call Yahtzee a board game. Do you want to call Yahtzee a board game? No, because there's no board. It's called a board game because it's played on a board. Monopoly is a board game. Sorry is a board game. Scategories and Yahtzee are... Is a Reese's Cup candy. I would guess so. Okay. See, some people would say, no, it's a chocolate, and chocolate's in a different category than candy. I I feel the same way about this discussion here. Yes, you're right. It's not played on a board itself, but there is a dice, and, you know, maybe your board is what you're writing your answers on each round. Are you a fan of categories? Are you good at it? I'm very good at categories. Any and and um, the other non-board game I said that now I can't miss Yahtzee. It. Yahtzee, very good at Yahtzee. Even though I, everyone says it's a luck game, I just I was don't think so. That. It's not a luck game because it's about the decisions you make in the game. The it's just like gambling. Gam- you could say gambling's a luck game, but it's about the decisions you make. <laughs> C. The end of the NBA regular season and the Myrtle Beach beer bats. If you haven't seen this picture, Robert, you need to look it up. The Myrtle Beach beer bat that they handed out this weekend in minor league baseball, Myrtle Beach Pelicans games. The end of the NBA regular season. The reason it's a C, you had meaningful games yesterday. Kind of cheapened in their importance by the play-in tournament. Talking about Washington facing the Hornets, which could have been a win-or-go-home game for both teams if it was under the old format. Same goes for Memphis facing Golden State. Those were great. Not going to cheapen that at all. But all the tanking last night. Really strange, Robert. I'm not sure if you kept an eye on it. Oklahoma City going up against the Clippers. The Clippers working as hard as they can to get away from the Lakers' side of the bracket. It's just very funny. All the teams that were tanking yesterday. It wasn't... That piece wasn't the most enjoyable piece of television. But uh, that's why it's a C. There was some good, there's some bad. Beer bats, though. They gave these things out for a dollar, Robert. It is, if you haven't seen it, it's one of these plastic see-through baseball bats that at the head of, so not like on the handle, the head of, it's cut open to allow for beer to be poured in there. So it's a dollar beer night for something that looks like is a lot more than an eight ounce receptacle. Your thoughts? I I would get bet that it's still eight ounces, despite being stretched out like that. And things like this, I'm glad you put it a C because things like this are always cool when you're at the ballpark. But I promise you, you will literally never drink anything out of that ever again. It looks good as a picture, but imagine trying to drink that thing where you're worried about the handle potentially hitting somebody. It's so skinny. 
walking around with it, it just looks strange, I bet. Oh, you'll never have a full one. You, As soon as you get them, you and your friends should chug them and then throw the plastic away. Yeah, it's you also no got refill. foam in the bottom and the top. So, you and I, I think we're in agreement on this. Some say it would be an A. Eh, there's some negatives with this. I think it's a C. D. J. Cole's pro debut. Three points, three rebounds, two assists in 17 minutes. Uh, but he's shooting 100% from the field and from free throw. I love what Kendrick Perkins said on Twitter, <laughs> saying those are big perk numbers. <laughs> we know J. Cole's good at basketball, but J. Cole is good at basketball in the same way Michael Jordan's good at golf. If you're great at something else, people are going to over-exaggerate your ability to play in other types of hobbies, right? Michael Jordan, some made him out to be, oh, this guy could be on tour if he really put his mind to it. The only guy I feel that way about for golf in America Pro Sports, Steph Curry and Tony Romo. Those are legitimately good golfers that could be pro golfers if that's what they pursued. J. Cole, great in the celebrity game. Pretty good hooper. In his background, he hooped, kind of like with 2 Chains and Quavo. But uh, I don't think, for pro basketball standards, he's a great hooper. That would be my take. F. The Hornets in May, 3-7 and seven this month. That's pretty easy. Five straight L's, but I don't want to get dwelled. Dwell things down talking about the Hornets. Also an F. Smoke alarms. Why? Because earlier today, Robert, I had a Zoom call, accsports.com stuff, with Brian Geisinger and my buddy uh, Jason Kong, who works with accsports.com as well. And we were just going through some magazine stuff for later this year. Hope we could share a lot of that with you at a later date. And the meeting I thought was going to be from like 10 to 10.30. I usually eat lunch around 11 and then I get over here. So the meeting was running a little bit long. It's around 10.45. I start preheating my oven that we have and I I had crab cakes. I had some leftover Jimmy's crab cakes that I hadn't cooked yet, that I hadn't prepared yet. So it requires that you put some butter on top of it as you're putting it in the tray Problem is, I didn't have a tray that served as a receptacle type, so it some of it kind of poured off the edges of this tray that I had it on, and apparently butter in the in the oven, it doesn't play well in there, and it turns very smoky really quick. So as I'm on this meeting, Robert, the smoke alarm starts sounding, and I'm trying as hard as I can to turn it off, but then as I virtually or physically turned off one manually another one sounded from the hallway upstairs so i had the race upstairs to try and turn that off and then here's why i have beef with the smoke alarm after you turn it off one time manually it should not sound again okay if i went through the trouble of turning it off manually then you should have the idea machine some way somehow to know that yeah, I get that there's smoke here, but manually I've turned this thing off. You should stop worrying about this. But no, for 30 minutes I've had the doors open in my in the house and I'm having the fan on on the microwave and all these things and the fan on in the living room trying to get the smoke to clear out. Crab cakes were good though. 
They'll be blaming a smoke detector because you. How much butter did you use if it's literally smoking out the house? Uh, half of a bar. A stick. Half, <laughs> half a stick. Yeah. Half a stick of butter, and then I melted it and put it on the crab cakes. It probably was a little bit too much butter. I'm sure BG. I, I'd be interested to know what it was like for BG on the other end of that call. <laughs> He'll join us at 5.30. I'm sure that's going to be just as embarrassing as me trying to out-precise the guys. But that's been Graham's grades. Up next, the only American pro sports star with comparable amounts of haters to Tom Brady. Also, I'll tell you why. It was a tough weekend for those who hate this particular athlete. Make sure you're sticking around here on a Monday drive. You wanted to hear some great sports talk? Well, here it is. Oh, what an appallingly ironic outcome. The Drive with Josh Graham. It's not ironic. It's just coincidental. On Sports Hub Triad. Here's a text I just received from my fiance, Sarah Bradford. The house smells like burnt crab cakes. Well, there's a reason for that, where I was trying to multitask this morning around lunchtime so that I could get off to our studio here in Kernersville and start preparing for the show. Had some ACCsports.com related business with my guy, Brian Geisiger, who joins us now, and our coworker, Jason Kong. I, I thought I was being sly, while we were taking care of some magazine-related stuff, getting ready, preparing crab cakes and multitasking, but it all went crashing down when the pan I had the crab cakes in weren't a great receptacle for some butter that I didn't realize would not go so well at the bottom of an oven. Smoke started to, to appear from the oven, and then you had the smoke alarm starting to go off and it it's just I hate the smoke alarms where you can you know you manually turn it off and then it just restarts again if you manually turn off the smoke alarm the first time they should get the idea that we know there's smoke and maybe perhaps don't continue to have the annoying alarm sound but how did it sound on the other end BG uh, you know, your, your, your takes were probably just too hot. You know, that was probably what, uh, it wasn't so much the, the crab cakes that were incinerating your oven and the butter in there. It was just, uh, your Louisville Clemson football takes were, uh, were just too spicy and hey. the alarm was sounded early as a, as a warning. I'll, I'll, I'll share some of those Louisville Clemson football takes when I feel like it on this radio show, but accsports.com, you can find uh, what BG does, which is quite a bit, on Twitter at bguys underscore bird. Before we get to out precise the guys, I want to talk NBA. And I'm interested in how Hornet fans should feel today because I get the perspective that with the context of injuries, which a lot of teams across the league are dealing with injuries, that's been a big story of the regular season. The Hornets, they were in a great spot a little over a month ago, fourth of the Eastern Conference. And now things have fallen, fallen apart without Gordon Hayward and not having Miles for a significant stretch. But I think the moment they signed Gordon, most people 
felt like this is a top 10 team in the Eastern Conference, probably a team that makes the playoffs, or at least that's how I felt. And even with the injuries, Charlotte blew an 11-point lead in the fourth quarter when they were 27-2 and after three quarters going into that game. And without Zion a week ago, they blew a fourth-quarter lead against the Pelicans as well. With Z- I mean, without Zion in the lineup at home, that's probably a game you should have. Losing five in a row to close the regular season, I feel you should feel disappointed about that. Calling this season a success, even as we acknowledge there's some promise on this roster, I think feels like a mistake. What do you think? Yeah, I don't I don't totally agree with that. I mean, it's like, for one thing, the season isn't even over yet. Like, sure. I, I mean, I don't envision them winning two straight games, but like, they could still make the playoffs. Uh, I mean, it's 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 a serious uphill battle, but like they could still do that. There's a non-zero chance of that happening. Um, it just it speak the injury speaks to one thing, which is just the team was overachieving um, for the majority of the season, no doubt. And they were doing so in a way where their margin for error was not that great. They were winning a lot of games with um, sort of like their clutch offense and their clutch efficiency, which tracks back to last season but is also something that is a little fickle and it is has a lot to do with luck if you get a little bit of of bad luck shooting the ball at the end of close games well then those contests that are coin tosses start going the other way uh all season charlotte has not had a very good defense uh at times they sort of charted out middle of the pack in terms of like defense efficiency a lot of that had to do with just smoke and mirrors and them generating a lot of steals by changing up defenses switching a lot Uh, playing zone but that was not a defense that was like built to hold leads and so once some of the offense really lost its firepower then you all of a sudden now you've got a defense that even if it does is handed a lead really can't hold it even against like you know an okay offense like New York or whatever or or the Wizards who actually have some good offensive players but Brad Beal was hurt yesterday but the one thing last thing I'll say is it's okay to be disappointed with how the season ended and at the same point in time, like it encouraged with the season, which was fun for a lot of, for a large stretch. And Lamella was such a joy and also feeling optimistic about where this team is headed. Uh, just given the young players on the roster that are so talented, the amount of future cap space that's on the horizon and the fact that they have all of their draft picks. So like all of those things can be true at the same time. Brian Geisker with us here, continuing with the play in tournament you got the Lakers facing the Warriors. That's the marquee. It's going to be a lot of fun, I think, on Wednesday night. I think the Lakers, they're pretty desperate to try and get minutes with their best players on the floor together, which is why you have guys playing towards the end of the third quarter, even the beginning of the fourth quarter in an otherwise meaningless game last night. The Lakers, of course, winning, trying to get the six, but Portland didn't allow that to happen. The Lakers, it's a lot of injuries. I don't know what's going on with LeBron's ankle. It looked like he might have retweaked it again late in that game as well. How concerned are you, not just about the optics of the play-in situation for the Lakers, but what might happen should they win Wednesday's play-in against Golden State and match up with Phoenix? I mean, uh, look, I'll say this. As someone that's bought the Suns, Bot stock and the Suns for most of the season. I've really enjoyed watching them play. You know, Chris Paul's my favorite basketball player in the league. Um, I am a little worried about that matchup for Phoenix, not because I don't think Phoenix is legit. Like this is a top five offense, top five defense 
in the NBA. They've got two all-star, all-NBA caliber guards and Chris Paul and Devin Booker. But they don't – it's not a great matchup for them against Anthony Davis, right? Like DeAndre Ayton can, can do some of that, but then you worry about foul trouble. You can put Jay Crowder on him, but you probably want Jay Crowder for LeBron. Um, I just worry about so many different issues. Like the Lakers aren't a great half-court offense, but what LeBron and AD can do from a matchup perspective, just dominating things on a possession-by-possession possession basis, I don't really love that matchup uh, for Phoenix. And also at the start of this segment, Josh, you mentioned how there's basically, you know, every team was dealing with injuries this season. That's true. Um, Phoenix is sort of like one of the few teams, though. I mean, knock on wood. Yeah. That really made it through in Utah to an extent, but obviously, you know, Conley and Donovan Mitchell missed a bunch too. But Phoenix stayed mostly pretty healthy. And maybe that is sort of like inflating what some of, you know, their win-loss. I mean, they are what their record says. They are what their efficiency numbers say. But given how much other teams were just ravaged by injuries and COVID this year, Phoenix, for the most part, skated through relatively unscathed. Um, and, you know, we'll see if they can keep that up in the playoffs and we'll see just how much perhaps that maybe did that inflate the regular season resume at all. Uh, I guess we'll see. Phoenix, Los Angeles, that would be a really fun first round yes. series, I feel. Yes. Looking at the other matchups that we either have the potential to have or. Uh, we already know we have. It seems that Milwaukee and Miami getting the most attention because of the second round matchup last year. I'd be yeah. surprised if Milwaukee loses that. Uh, you look at the Nuggets, or not the Nuggets, but uh, the Clippers, the way, the way that they tanked last night to get the matchup with Dallas. I, I think the Clippers are going to be in good shape there. I don't know how... The Dallas is going to be able to combat both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I look at the Knicks and the Hawks as maybe being the best first-round matchup because my thinking is, in terms of athletes and sheer ability, I think Atlanta has the edge. But Tom Thibodeau and this scrappy Knicks team and Julius Randle, which I really don't know who Atlanta's going to have to try and guard him, I feel the Knicks have a really strong shot here. I think I'm leaning Atlanta to win the series, but that's the first-round matchup I'm keeping the closest eye on. Which one stands out to you the most? Yeah, you highlighted the, the three the three sort of like most appealing first-round matchups. Um, I'm fascinated by Milwaukee-Miami. Uh, Miami's better than their record says. They, they dealt with a lot of injuries and COVID uh, uh, breakups this year as well. You know, Milwaukee, can they exercise the demons from a season ago, right? Like, they will find out really, really early. I mean, Milwaukee's tried implementing a lot of new stuff on both sides of the ball this year. They've switched more defensively with mixed results, but the hope was, with all of that stuff, to maybe make them more versatile come postseason. Well, there's no team that's more versatile than Eric Spolster and the Miami Heat with Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. Uh, and Jimmy had just a ridiculously good season. Like, he was a top-10 player in the league this year. He was incredible um so i will be fascinated to see how milwaukee some of the new stuff that they they started rolling out this year what do they do will that help them against the bam Adebayo duncan robinson two-man game that 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 has given them fits in the past will that help them against jimmy butler uh will some of their new stuff offensively matter to get you know Giannis operating in different vantage points than just having Giannis try to go one on five with bam Adebayo on him in the middle of the court 
Um, so I am fascinated to see like Milwaukee, all of their adjustments that generated so many headlines during the regular season, like they're going to get put to the test real quick. And so I am fascinated uh, by that series. Plus I, I'm interested to see how the Clippers guard uh, Luka Doncic, who famously gave them so much trouble, um, you know, in the first round of the, the bubble last season too. Yeah. And another note on that Miami Milwaukee series, three regular season meetings, Jimmy Butler didn't play in any of those, any of those games against Milwaukee this season. Uh-oh. So we'll <laughs> see. We'll see what might happen when Uh-oh. the postseason arrives here. Are we ready to do this thing, Robert? We've got out precise the guys. Uh, BG got back in the win column after a, his first pair of consecutive losses in this game. He won by good measure a week ago. Let's see if he could continue his run now. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to out-precise the guys. All right, playoffs are here. So I wanted to talk about some players and some teams who have a chance to win it all. And I, the, the, the last question in this game is probably the most history-reaching hard question that I've had. You guys are going to be – you must have paid attention all season to get the last question on here. But sometimes we don't even need the last question, so I'll start with the first one. Kevin Durant, he's returned to form this year, but not just as a shooter. Uh, for the Nets, a team that struggled pretty heavily on the defensive side, this is a welcome sign. But how many blocks and steals – did Kevin Durant's seven-five wingspan provide this year? Wow, so Ooh, blocks and right. steals together. Oh, wow. But he doesn't get enough credit as a defensive player, especially coming he's off an injury. He's been really good, right, BG? Yeah, he blo- actually blocked. Like, went on the court this season, was a pretty darn good uh, rim protector uh, for Brooklyn. I-, I think he ended up finishing top 20, top 15 in the league in block rate, or that's where he was at some point in the middle of the season when I was going through these numbers. Um, but he only played in, in like 30 games this year. Uh, I will say, I'll say 80, 80 I've, combined stocks. I've got 93 combined stops. He had 45 steals or 25 steals, 45 blocks. That's 70 produced turnovers off by 10 uh, off by 23 bg takes the first point okay all right next we've all got right. steph curry he fired up in the second half of the season and won the scoring title with 2015 points scored this season how many points off was he from the highest scoring title ever that wilt chamberlain set in 1961-62 season <laughs> oh my oh god, god this is gonna be oh, bad this is gonna put math to the test because uh for the kids at home listening that don't remember, I believe Wilt averaged above 50 points per game that season. So, <laughs> Which is ridiculous. Uh, yeah, uh, he's just Herculean numbers. Um, I'll say 3,000. I've got 3,700. It was hard math for everybody but me. Literally double <laughs> Steph's total, and that is Wilt's total. It is 4,029. He was 2,014 points off. (laughs) Literally two of these seasons is what Steph would have to have to match 
Wilt season total from the 62 season. That's Steph, pl Steph playing with a three-point shot, mind you. Too, but, you, know, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, ridiculous stuff. Go, go back and look at those old clips, though. The way basketball was back then, there wasn't any, like, hey, let's use up the shot clock because, you know, it was the 60s. And there was no three-point line. I also don't think there was a shot clock until the ABA merger, if I'm if I remember correctly. But anyway, the the the, the possessions usually were just get up yeah. court and get a shot up as quickly as you can, which, yeah. as you can imagine, inflated attempts and inflated rebounds. The uh, yeah, the, those like air, they were averaging like 120, 25 possessions per game. Some of these teams, which is like 25 percent more than like the fastest team in the NBA now. You know what I mean? Like just insane, insane pace of play back then. But obviously Chamberlain's numbers are crazy. And there's even one season he averaged over 48 minutes per game. I don't know what his <laughs> career that was, but that's ridiculous. That's that also ridiculous. ridiculous. Uh, Utah, they have locked up the number one seed despite some big injuries, but they weren't so dominant all year. What I like to do is look at team's margin of victories throughout the year and see if there's a, a, a cause or effect of something. And their largest victory of the year, or their largest loss of the year, was to a Nets team on the seventh game of the year where there was no KD and no Harden. They lost by 34 points in that game. And that's their biggest loss of the year. How many points did Kyrie have in that game? God, Harden may not have even been on Brooklyn's roster by that He point. wasn't. There was no Harden. You still <laughs> had a uh, guy on the Pacers that uh, I can't think of his name. Karis LeVert. Still, Karis LeVert is in this box score. Uh, there so many heroes of yesteryear that has been thrown <laughs> to the island of misfit toys now for the super team of the Nets. But oh, how many points did Kyrie have in that game? Oh, let's say, but by the way, Kyrie shot 56% on twos this season. It's ridiculous. Um, I will say Kyrie had 35 in that game. I've got 43 written down. It's either a whole heck of a lot or a whole leck of a uh, lot of nothing. I got yeah. 43 down for Kyrie. With a plus minus of plus 22, Kyrie scored 29 points that game. All right. Jeez, there man. We go. I got waxed. <laughs> I got waxed. You can't. Much like the Jazz in that game. But look, Josh, they ended up in the number one seed this I year. Get it. Yeah. Cool. Love this game. My favorite. BG, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try not to burn my house down, even though. I'm really upset right now. I feel like uh, <laughs> I feel like Anthony Anderson's character in Harold and Kumar, where he's working at the knockoff chicken joint or the knockoff burger joint, and he's wanting to burn that mother bleeper to the ground. <laughs> that's that's how I feel currently right now. I appreciate you playing along as always. Always, always uh, enjoy the uh, the playoff games this week, fellas. Yeah, talk to you next week. That's Brian Geisiger on Twitter at bgeis underscore bird.